You're listening to Con Confianza. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Steve Tamayo, and I am joined here in our virtual studio with, with Victoria Mejia, LaFay's Associate Director of Leadership Development. Say hi, Victoria. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and, and where are you phoning in from today? Today, I am sitting in my sister's classroom office thing. She's a resource reader, reader resource teacher at her school. So Oh, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Victoria brought her niece so that her sister could have lunch with her on the last day of school before break. We're recording this in December of 2019. And Victoria is a remarkable aunt in addition to being a remarkable staff worker. And she is responsible for all sorts of leadership development initiatives around La Fay. So as is our practice here on Con Confianza, we want to start off with something really, really practical. So, Victoria, are you ready? Here's a question. So, what is one thing that a leader can do to build a healthy team? One thing I think that is really important is having relationship enough with your team or with the people on your team to know how to lead them. <laughs> so, that feels very nebulous but we all know how to build relationships and get to know people and I think asking questions about who they are what they do where their heart lies family stuff really the relational piece helps unlock what you can build in a team um, together that bit of wisdom goes against some practice that leaders have of isolating themselves from the people that they lead where they'll like, you know, I, I'm going to be Moses up on the mountain and I'm going to be separate from the people and, or, you know, and, and, and I don't want to get too close because what if I have to fire someone or if I have to ask someone to step down from leadership or if they get too close to me, they might see my warts or, or my weaknesses, you know, th- those sorts of things. But actually you believe differently that actually that intimacy on a team, that connection on a team makes for a better team. Yeah, I would say there are still boundaries for sure, but I definitely think the relational piece really unlocks some things and understanding how the different people on your team works and even how you can bring them together on the team, especially especially people coming from very different cultural backgrounds and maybe even different team experiences previous to a team you might be building. So it does go against a lot of normal leadership aspects, but there are boundaries for sure. I think it's so wise though, to note that this team, whether it's a team of small group leaders, a team of staff, that that whatever team this is, is probably not their first team, right? Unless you're coaching fifth grade T-ball, maybe not fifth grade, five-year-old T-ball. Fifth graders don't play T-ball, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless you're coaching five-year-old T-ball, this is probably not their first team. Correct. They've been on a team before. They've seen team dynamics before. They've maybe even been on unhealthy teams. That's a really great insight, Victoria. I really appreciate yep. that. When you think about a team that's healthy, that has those relationships, what are some things that that team would be capable of doing? A lot. I think there's just a lot of potential for teams to unlock where they're really strong 
and to thrive in those places. So if a team is in tune with each other, I think the potential for whatever they're leading to be their best um, because their team knows who they are, their team knows uh, where they're strong and helps identify even where they're strong, where sometimes that person or leader can't see. And it really unlocks and brings some joy, more joy and freedom in whatever they're leading. I think um, the potential is large. You can cover a lot of ground, I think. We had this experience when we were working on the Lafay 13 conference together. I remember we had this plenary session that was going to need to be executed. And it was so complex and there was all kinds of things. And we're, we're doing it in a place where we've never done it. We're having to set up and tear down and all these moving parts. And we just all looked around the circle and said, that's Victoria's job. <laughs> like, we, like we know Victoria can pull that off, whereas the rest of us may not have been able to execute it. But because we had gotten to know each other pretty well over the years leading up to the conference, we were able to just kind of pinpoint that. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> and, and it looked like you had a great time with it. It didn't look like you felt like the team had dumped it on you because it was something that really fit who you were. Oh yeah, I loved it. And it was, a, it was probably one of the most fun places or spaces and teams I worked on, something like that for me. And part of that, I mean, actually all of that was really connected to our relational connection on the team. Yeah. Because we went deep in life, but we also went deep in work. Right. Right. And actually we went deep in life first yes. and that made it possible yep. for us to go deep in work in a, yep. in a new way. You could view that as a cycle where deep in life reinforces deep in work and deep in work reinforces deep in life. But I don't think you actually automatically get deep in work to deep in life. I think there's some people who've worked together really, really closely for a long, long time, and they know nothing about each other. That's true, for sure. I think that that was something that the disciples really struggled with as they walked with mm. Jesus. Is I mean, they just did work and work and work with him. They spent so much time with him. But I feel like there are times where I'm like, I don't know that those guys got to know Jesus the way he hoped that they would or the way that they could have or the way that they should have or the way that I wish they would have. You know, some of their lack of understanding of what he was doing reveals maybe that they didn't, they didn't really get to know his heart. And I think that happens all the time, part because we're human, um, probably largely because we're human. And then I think there's some of that is, part of the leadership piece, we have to choose in to some of those things. And when you've experienced times where that's not always welcome or that's not what leadership is, it's hard to break that barrier. It's hard to say, okay, I'm going to go in deep with life um, because I know that's going to actually unlock things in, in work or and or ministry and or leadership. It's, it's a hard barrier to break. And so it does take time. But I think the time to do that is worth it. And pushing people to, to trust, which is also hard. Uh, but I think that's where, that's where it all lies, is opening up and trust. And that's why sometimes we work on teams where we work with people for years and years and years, and that trust is not, hasn't been given or released. That's a great point. We're going to circle back to that later in the podcast. I would love for people to get to know you a little bit better. 
and we can get to know you through the lens of teams. So think back to your experience of being on teams, healthy teams, unhealthy teams, goofy teams, sports teams, you know, more serious teams, work teams, ministry teams. What are some of the first teams that you were on or were a part of when you think about your early experience with teams? My earliest experience that I remember, because I'm pretty sure there's more that people will tell me, oh, you did this, but I don't remember that, were sports teams and or groups like, you know, little working groups when you're young in school. It's a little different because you're not doing like a group project like you do in college, but uh, probably those kinds of things. When you think about your like sports teams from when you were a kid, what, what sports did you play? I played basketball, soccer, volleyball, and I did some of the long distance running. I don't remember what it's called. What is that called? Torture? Cross country? I don't know. I don't know. And when I think cross country, I think of Jesus carrying the cross. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. that sounds like torture to me. (laughs) It wasn't that bad. Okay. I didn't do it very long. What are some things that you learned about teams from those early experiences of sports? In the early experiences, I think I learned that working together was supposed to be fun or should be fun. Sports, especially like playing sports was fun to me. And so being on a team was even more fun. And then learning how to take whatever skill that I had in basketball or soccer or or volleyball and how that works with other, other positions what your role was in the position. Cause before it was just like recess playing, you know, I'm going to kick a ball or shoot a basket. No, no real organization. Um, but there was, I guess you would say there was a way that I learned that things fit together and I just needed to learn, or I was learning how my strengths fit in the whole. And so those early experiences of teams, learning how your strengths fit in the whole, enjoying playing together, was there anything, and I know I'm asking you to dig deep a little bit, is there anything about your Latina ethnic identity that you mm. think was particularly connected to that experience of teams? Like, is there any way that, that who, who you are as, as a Latino person came out in those early experiences of teams? I think my Latinoness probably came out in more of what I desired on those teams. So... My family has always been really strong in connecting with people who aren't even like blood family and making them family. So like there are people who I called, you know, uncle and aunt or whatever, who were not blood related at all. We're actually white folks, you know, in the community that we grew up in. And a lot in large part, that's because my parents kind of created family because they were not around family. We did not live close to either of their families. So I think on some of my teams outside of like in elementary school young teams when I played organized sports those were fun I felt like I was a part of the team like like we were a small little family in some sense and I think um, as I continued to play even through like junior high and high school that became less so or that feeling became less so and those were things that I really wanted was like I wanted to bond with the team Um, and that's actually one of the reasons I stopped playing basketball after my freshman year in high school uh, because it stopped feeling like a family or I'd stopped feeling like a part, uh, a piece of this team. Um, And that's really when I started getting into soccer a lot. So 
a lot more because that's where I felt like the sense of family and togetherness and, and we have each other's back and we fight for each other was, was there with a little bit of brokenness in the side. Always, always. I mean, yeah. families, that's how, that's what families are, right? There's always exactly. a little bit of brokenness somewhere, but that, that image of what you saw modeled in your family beginning to emerge in your expectations and your hopes for your athletic teams. I think that's something that a lot of us experience as Latinos in ministry, whether you're a student leading an intervarsity chapter or whether you're an intervarsity staff working with Latino students or you're a La Fe staff. I think that understanding that our early childhood experiences shape our picture of what a healthy team looks like. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really significant. When you think about your ministry experience, so you went to University of the Pacific, is that where you got connected with InterVarsity? Yes, that is. And and so what were some of your team experiences like when you were at University of the Pacific? In some places, it felt very like I didn't fit. There were some ministry leadership teams where I struggled to feel a part of the team. But then I would say my sophomore year, I was a leader in a small group in the dorm. And I was a part of, we had these separate teams called shepherd teams. And it's basically a team of leaders. And this is how we care for one another. This is how we check in and, and ask for advice and all that kind of stuff. And I think it was in that team where I felt both like the most outside of the team and also the most connected. And part of that was due to the leadership of our staff worker, Jerry Haraguchi, and so it was a team full of Asian American students and myself. And I was the only Latino on leadership at the time. And I just remember always feeling like I can't engage in this conversation or we're talking about stuff that I don't relate to. But it was, it's really silly, but it was at a fall conference. Uh, Jerry, it was when I knew he saw and understood like me and like connected to me in a way that I didn't feel like I was being seen. And I think that was probably the first place where I'm like, oh, this feels a little like home. Like you see, you see something and this feels like home. And I think that really broke the ice for me to open up and trust and open up and, and get to know more of the people on the team. That's so significant. It doesn't necessarily take everyone in the group to see nope. you for you to feel like you're a part of the group. Sometimes yeah. it can just be one person who sees you and all of a sudden you go from feeling like an outsider to feeling like you belong-ish. You know, I mean, some of us will never feel like we fully belong. The Bible talks about us being resident aliens and pilgrims in this world. And there's, there's, it's okay to be an outsider. And yet at the same time, there is this beautiful thing. Paul talks about this. He says, you know, those who are far away have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. And, and this idea of being, of being brought near, being brought into the circle, of being brought into the kingdom, of being brought into the family is something that happens when we're seen by people, something that happens when we're seen by God. I, I think that's really significant, Victoria. I think a lot of times I see this with young leaders. They focus so much on who doesn't see them that they don't appreciate who does see them. And there may be someone who sees them, but they focus so much on the one person who doesn't see them or the one person who rejects them or the one person who, for whatever reason, won't include them, that they, they just can't feel like they're a part of it. Something that I've struggled with when I look back on my own leadership journey, and I've done some unhealthy things around workaholism in particular, 
to try to earn the approval of that one person who won't accept me. And I'm like, if I do this, will you accept me? If I do this, will you accept me? If I try this, will you accept me? And they're like, no, nothing you ever do will ever be enough. Mm-hmm. And I miss all of these other people who are welcoming and accepting and including me. So you had that experience with Jerry at University of the Pacific. Does, does he know about that, by the way? Is this, is this like he'll listen to this podcast someday and be like, I had no idea I had that impact on Victoria's life. Yeah, he knows. I'm, at least I think he does. Well, it sounds like that really made a difference for you. Yeah. You have that experience as a student, and, and then you decided to come on staff with InterVarsity. But there's an interim between when you were a student leader and when you came on staff. What was that gap? How long was that? Three years, I think. Okay. And during that time, did Jerry stay in touch with you or did someone stay in touch with you or did you take initiative with InterVarsity? What did that look like? I, well, I was a part of the fellowship. He was team leader still, so definitely still in connection. Um, But in terms of how the staff process started, it was initiated with me. It wasn't something I was technically looking for. No, I wasn't looking for it. Technically, of course I wasn't. Yeah. So someone reached out to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when that invitation came, I'm curious about this. Like I, I don't, this is a, I'm asking, I'm doing a thing that lawyers say never to do. Don't ask a question you don't know the answer to, but I'm going to do it anyway. Did it feel like you were being invited to a ministry or did it feel like you were being invited to a team? Well, did it feel like you were giving a mission, a calling, or did it feel like you're being included in a community or did it feel like both? I think it felt like a little bit of both. At the time, I would say it was probably more the mission or the vision for mission. Um, But I think it was always connected to, there was always a small connection to, oh, I will still have a place or I have a place. I think just the invitation to staff was like, oh, I do belong. (laughs) If there was any point that I would have questioned that, or if I initiated the stuff on my own, I think it would have been hard for me to feel like, oh, I belong in this space or I'm wanted in this space or I'm a part of the team or the family of this space. So I think the invitation itself was that. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful thing when we think about recruitment because mm-hmm. at every level of the ministry, recruitment is something that's always happening, right? If you're a student leader, you're recruiting people to lead small groups with you. You're recruiting people to you know, join you at large group, you're recruiting people to come to new student outreaches, participate in gigs, prayer meetings, Bible studies. If you're on staff, you're recruiting student leaders, you're recruiting ministry partners to help pray for and fund your ministry. If you're a staff supervisor, you're recruiting people to come and work within our varsity. Yet recruitment is something that is happening all of the time. And yet sometimes we get into these patterns where we're waiting for people to volunteer themselves and to say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And they just don't because, because to do that wouldn't give them that sense of belonging. They'd feel like they're forcing their way into a community. And this is particularly true with Latino students, Latino ministers, Latino ministry partners. I think they need that invitation. And once the invitation is given, it's like something switches in their mind where all of a sudden, oh, I, I could be a part of that. Yeah, I would say that's definitely true. I think that was even true for when I was invited into leadership as a student. I didn't even think I could lead. And so the invitation itself is really key. I would never have said, I want to be a leader. 
Well, and yet some people do. There's, there's yeah, you're right. some That's people out there. There's some people out there. Like I would have these people who would come to me, you know, the first week of on class and they tell me like, you're so lucky. I'm going to be a leader in your ministry. And I'm like, someday, maybe, but like, you're going to need to stop that, whatever that is that you're doing. <laughs> like you are not ready for prime time, buddy. You know, it's almost always buddy. Uh, you know, there's, there's that, um, <laughs> that thing that happens where there's some people who yeah. just have that, that uh, confidence built into them, but there's some who, who need that invitation yeah. and are waiting for it. Even, you know, it's something that I think, you know, in my work of fundraising ministry, partnership development, I often forget how honored some people feel to be asked, they are honored to be included. And that is something, you know, I think, as we think about what it looks like to be healthy for ministry and to build healthy ministry teams, you know, one of the things that they teach in the marketing world is that um, a market is most powerful when the market participants are connected with each other and not mm. just with one centralized person. And, you know, I think when we do ministry partnership development, when we're doing fundraising, a lot of times people are connected to us, but they're not connected to each other at all. And that can happen in you know, for area directors where their staff have a, or volunteers have a strong connection with the area director, but, but don't have a connection with each other. And it can even happen in the student ministry where, you know, you're a, uh, on the exec team of your chapter and you have a connection with each of your small group leaders, but they may not have a great connection with each other. What are some ways that you as a leader create space for the people you lead to connect with each other? I think it comes in multiple forms. Um, I'm a firm believer of checking in before you do business in any meeting. In La Fe, we talk about this idea of connecting before performing. That's something yeah. that Rene Aguirre has been teaching. Uh, and we've been on Rene's teams, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I, I think I like to connect beyond, often in meetings I'd hear, share one word of how you're coming into this meeting. And while that's helpful, I feel like <clears throat> Renee also talks about this. Like if you don't, you don't check in on like how you're doing personally, how you're doing ministry, how you're doing family, it prevents us from really having the clarity to go deep in our work because we're still thinking about this thing that's happening with my family. And if I share one word, it's not really going to get at the bigness of what's happening or even the, the difficulty or joy maybe even of what's happening with my family. Well, what do you say to the person who says, ain't nobody got time for that, right? Who, who, who says, I don't have time to go around the circle and for everybody to check in on how they're doing. Like, like we need to get moving. We got stuff to do. I think I understand the time question. I'm, I'm a J, so I'm also in lots of ways time oriented but sometimes we can't even get the work done in the time allotted if we don't do like the personal um, because either we're not like staff or students are not, um, they're still thinking about the other things. So they're not fully engaged. And so it takes us longer to get to where we want to get. Um, or we end up doing stuff without having the contribution of, of everyone because other people are struggling with, XYZ and haven't had a, a place to just kind of voice that and get prayer. Um, so I think I would say I understand the time constraint. I understand that piece, but you still, even if you 
do a short check-in, you still might even get the work done in the time you have allotted. Um, Tony Schwartz is a leadership expert. He talks about the difference between time management and energy management. Mm. In some ways, I wonder if that's part of what you're doing when you're leading your teams is you're managing the emotional and spiritual energy of the team that's forged through the team's connection with each other. And a team that has this kind of high relational energy, high trust is able to accomplish more, even than a team that has more time. Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, you and I experienced that a lot on the um, conference leadership team for Love Faith 13. There are times where I think sometimes I would even think, well, are we going to get through everything we need to get through? Because we all were going into those places where we needed to spend that time to engage some of those things. And yet we got everything that needed to be done, done. So I think I understand that piece but it's also, I also, I also think sometimes I'm like, I trust, I also trust the Lord is in the work that we're doing in our leadership and in our ministry. And I feel like I, I often, or we as humans think I, we have to do it. It's all on us, but actually the things we don't get to, the Lord has in his hands and will make a way. And I think sometimes we, especially here in the U S trust a little too much on our our own ability to get things done. And we forget that we actually have a God who's bigger than me or you or whomever. Right. That perspective of the creator who, who causes the sun to rise and the sun to set, who has made everything, who owns the land, uh, this, this, this kind of vision, you know, for us as Latinos in our indigenous heritage uh, inheritance, that this part of our, our heritage is this understanding of a creator who, who is sovereign and trustworthy and is looking out for us even when circumstances don't seem to be moving the way we want them to move or fast enough. Uh, that that um, manana principle is an important principle for our community. Mm. And uh, I mean, it's not just us. I mean, it shows up over and over again in different societies and in different cultures. I know you have a lot of connections in Native InterVarsity as well. Is this something that you've seen our native brothers and sisters? Oh yeah, for sure. <clears throat> for sure. And I think there were times where I'm like, Oh, this is why I resonate with how you're doing some of the things because we also have really deep indigenous roots. Sometimes our families aren't as connected and yet we still live in that cultural, in those cultural values of, of trusting that when things are happening is when they're supposed to happen. As part of our spiritual heritage. It's something that comes down to us. And it's something, if you're listening to this and you don't feel like you have a strong connection with your ethnic heritage, especially if you're Latino, I want you to hear that God has an inheritance for you that you may not have unpacked, that God has a blessing for you that you may have never even opened. It may still be sitting all wrapped up. It may be under the tree. It may be just waiting there for you. And the peace that can come from trusting that the Lord has all things in his hands, that the Lord is sovereign, that it's going to be okay, that even if it's, it's hard now, even if the darkness is here now, uh, that light is coming, uh, that's a gift. That's a gift that God has for you, for you to receive if you'll only open your hands and receive it. Amen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, I slip into preaching on a podcast. So I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears. Is it okay for us to shift gears? I love it. Yes. 
So when you think about the dynamics of a healthy team, uh, so you're leading a team right now. You're leading the conference leadership team ahead of the next national student conference. Uh, La Fay 20 is coming up. Yes? Yes. Oh, yes. December 20th. Oh, no. I'm sorry. What? Sorry. (laughs) That's so wrong. (laughs) Yes, it's coming. December 27th to 31st, 2020. So in almost a year from now. Almost a year from when we're recording this episode. When we're recording. Yes. Not from when you're listening. I apologize. So Victoria is directing this team. They're a team of staff from around the country who are helping to prepare. They've been working on this conference for a year already. A year? Nine months? A year. A year. A little over a year. A little over a year year already. What are some things that you're doing? Take us behind the curtain. What are some things that you're doing to create a healthy team culture so that you all can be healthy for ministry together? Well, one of the first things I knew for sure that I wanted to do uh, with this team and even in my leadership of this team was I wanted everything to kind of come out and move out of prayer. And I feel like we prayed so much that there were times in my humanness, (laughs) I was like, oh, we haven't done anything. It's felt like, but I really feel like the prayer aspect is, has been a significant part of this team growing and connecting with one another, growing and thinking about how we're planning for this thing. We always, we always, always, always have a team update. So how are you guys doing? What's happening in life and ministry and other personal life, church, whatever. And we spend time praying for each other in those things. Uh, some folks have needed prayer more intensely than others at different points of our times gathering. But I think prayer was the biggest piece for me in, in establishing this team and, and praying and hoping that it would be a healthy engagement with a team. And so that's probably the number one thing that I did to start. When you pray with each other and when you pray for each other and take the risk to open up about a meaningful prayer request and then see people come around you and pray for that meaningful prayer request and a month later, two months later, you run into them and they ask you about this thing that they prayed for you about. And maybe they've been praying for you in an ongoing way. It really does build a culture of trust on a team. Oh, yeah, definitely. And especially for our team who isn't in person together very often, um, I think it's created a pretty a pretty solid foundation and people care and people check in and people ask questions um, beyond that. Um, and I think that's led to a lot of us, even in our decision-making for the conference, we talk, we brainstorm, and then we go to prayer. And I think in lot, in other teams that I've led, I haven't done, been so intentional in like even how we make decisions going into prayer before we like solidify. And I knew going into this team, that was something I really wanted to do and wanted to like push myself to be reminded to do. And I think um, I can speak very confidently that the Lord has led us um, very, very powerfully. And as we think about this conference and I think about the leaders on this team, I just feel like God is doing something and I'm excited about how he's growing us. Even, even asking the team to think about, to ask the Lord where, where they want to be placed, like what part of the team they want to work on uh, or of the conference they want to work on. 
Um, and, and some of the question has been, where are you strong and where do you want to do that? Or do you want to have a stretch, you know, like, and so, um, a lot of it has just been listening to the Lord, um, and trying to move in that direction as much as possible. A healthy team that's praying in a healthy way. Well, I would just say a team that's praying in a healthy way is almost always going to be a healthy ministry team. Mm. It's, it's hard to be unhealthy if you have healthy prayer. Now, you can have unhealthy prayer and an unhealthy team. So I'm not saying that prayer is like a, you know, right. automatic. I mean, there are unhealthy ways to pray, right? <laughs> like if you're like praying at someone or you're praying on someone, you know, is it, you know, and I've had that happen and I've done that. It's just, it's not good. It, it gets ugly pretty quickly. But if you're, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh man, this is so great. Like, I really want to have a healthy team. I, I think this is a really great starting place is to say, let's commit to, to having a healthy prayer life as a team and see if other things can build off of that. So as we close, let's, let's move to some application here. You know, we, we want people to have some real concrete takeaways. So when I think about what you shared about having a, a healthy prayer life on your team, some of the things you mentioned is make it a priority, which in turn makes time for it. Maybe that's, that's one idea that you shared. What are some other things that you think of that someone could do if they, if they want to have a healthy prayer life on their team? their small group that they're leading or their small group leaders in their chapter or their staff team, if they're a staff mm-hmm. supervisor, what does it look like to take a step toward kind of having a, a healthy prayer life? Yeah, I agree. Definitely making the space for it. Um, I also think there are times where we do need to be interrupted. And so if there is something that comes up either on the team or with a person on the team, or even in the passage, maybe you're studying scripture in the passage, Um, A lot of times in Christian spaces, we say, oh, I'll pray for you, or I will be praying. And most of the time, (laughs) we don't pray, or we'll we'll, like think about it that day, and then we forget, and then we we aren't praying until something comes up, and we're like, oh, yeah, I should have been praying for that. So one of the things that I think has been really important on our team and other with just people in general is like, let's pray now, you know. Uh, sometimes I'll even, this is kind of a funny thing, but I'll even text a prayer to someone. If someone says, can you be praying for? I was like, I'll text a prayer. And then I'll try to remember, you know, to be praying post meetings. But in the moment, it's okay to be interruptible. Well, and I think that centers the value of prayer, right? Instead of making prayer a bookend that exists on the margins of your team culture, by by being willing to interrupt what you're doing for prayer, it shows the value of it. And, you know, when you mentioned texting a prayer, some people feel really uncomfortable writing out a prayer because it just is, it feels stilted or stuffy. You know, a lot of the Bible is written out prayers. Mm. Uh, you know, Paul is like, uh, you know, in his letters, he writes out, here's what I'm praying for you. And he's listing it out. And I'm like, wow, dude, like you didn't even, you didn't even pray that they would not, die. <laughs> like, you know, like he's got like writing to these people who are being persecuted and he's like praying that they might know the glorious riches of their inheritance and the saints. And I'm like, yeah, but could you also pray that they don't get fed to the lions? But that that's Paul being Paul, right? Yeah. I mean, he's just like being himself and he wants them to listen in on his prayer life. And it, you know, it's just so beautiful to see the, the prayers that are being prayed for you. 
I think I, I had this experience once where I had a friend who, uh, so actually back up a little bit, I was going to be praying at a school assembly at the university where I worked. I'd be praying for all 1700 students at this small private college. They're all going to be there. And I had like three minutes to pray a prayer over them. And I had a friend who was supposed to be there to support me. And that morning his wife got sick. And so he couldn't come. And he's like, he texts me and he's like, but I'll be praying for you. And I was like, prayer. Oh, what good is that? Mm. And the second I said it, uh, I was like, I'm about to get up and I'm about to pray for, for the whole university. And I'm so nervous about praying for the whole university. And I feel like this is such a big opportunity to pray for the whole university. You know, and I'm like, oh no, the prayer is something. Prayer is work. It's not an interruption from the work. It is the work. I agree. Uh, I think I, I wish my whole, whole staff career was sort of born out of prayer like I'm trying to do in these last uh, five-ish years, six-ish years. Not that I didn't pray before, but I think there's just something really important that um, I've always known and have seen the difference in my life and in my leadership and even on the teams that I've been on. But it, it's really clicked this last year, these last couple of years being with this team. Like I, I could have done this. I could have done this, but I let other pressures um, keep me from doing it. You could have done this, and at the same time, you could not have done this. Well, sure, yeah. Right? That's that's that that thing that I keep coming back to is this line from Maya Angelou where she says, when you know better, do better. Mm. And and you didn't know. If you're listening to this and you're a young leader, you know, maybe you're in your you know, late teens, early 20s, late 20s, early 30s, you're younger than us, right? If you're in, in any of those places, you know, Victoria and I are old now. And you can learn from our example and our mistakes that, you know, you know, if we had been more prayerful in our 20s, our ministry would have been really different. And we can wish that it had been different, but we didn't know then. And uh, now you know, you've heard. You may not know. You may have heard, but you may not know. But I, I want to encourage you to experiment with it. You know, prioritize it. Set aside time for it center it. So prioritization, centering, you know, do those things that Victoria is talking about and see what happens. You know, follow the example of Daniel, just test, just test it. Just see what happens. Give it a month. See if your team feels closer. See if your ministry feels healthier. See if you're making better decisions faster. If people feel more trust for each other, just give it a try. And I would add to that, like, don't, don't be afraid of the prayer pushing back some of the, the things you want to do. So, so if you're like faithful in prayer and listening to God, he's going to reveal the things and maybe something will get decided later than you wanted it to be decided for your ministry. But I also feel like it's building your trust in Jesus and, and God to lead you. And, and I just think um, we're so afraid of not producing when, and then we produce stuff that is not always led by the Lord. And I think at times, um, while those things can work, it's so much more powerful to see how the Lord is working and where he'll lead you if you wait just a little bit. I've been teaching my niece about patience, and patience means waiting. And so anytime I say wait, she goes, Bing! 
patience. And so I would just encourage you to be patient and wait with the Lord and don't freak out too much. That's a good word. That's a good word. Let's close on that. So Victoria, if people want to follow up with you, if you've said something that's really resonated with them or they, they want to know more about the conference or they want to learn more about some of these principles, how can people find you? Well, you can find me at Victoria Mejia, victoria.mejiaanniversary.org. That's my email. So you can um, email me there and ask any questions. I'll put it uh, in the show notes. Oh, it'll be in the show notes. Um, you can find me on social media if you want and connect with me there. I'm less responsive to some things on social media, but I do respond eventually. And you can ask your local staff worker how to contact me if that's easier for you or feels safer for you. Uh, the conference stuff, look for lafay20.org. All right, lafay20.org. It'll be set up in January. Which is when this podcast is dropping anyway. So oh, that's crazy perfect. Lord. That's perfect. <laughs> hey, if you've been listening to this episode of Con Confianza, we want you to know that season one of Con Confianza is all about getting healthy for ministry. We know that there are lots of ways that ministers struggle with health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health. And yet we know that our health has a huge impact on our ability to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. So we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast, listen to season one, share it with people. If you subscribe to the podcast, you'll also hear season two when it comes out later in the spring. We're so excited to help you, to come alongside you. God has given you a meaningful ministry. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. God bless.